Most U.S. women will develop fibroids at some point in their lives. One study found that by the age of 50, 70% of whites and 80% of African Americans had fibroids. Typically, fibroids do not cause symptoms, so most patients are totally unaware that they have them. However, when the condition is painful or the number of fibroids is great, doctors may advise surgery. More than 200,000 hysterectomies are performed each year for uterine fibroids. But is that the only solution? I am your host, Dr. Renee Matthews, and joining me is Dr. Jessica Shepard, Assistant Professor of Clinical Obstetrics and Gynecology and the Director of Minimally Invasive Gynecology at the University of Illinois College of Medicine at Chicago. She is also founder of Her Viewpoint, an online community empowering women about their health. Dr. Shepard, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. I think we have a good topic today. Definitely. Let's get started. So can you tell us the etiology of fibroids? That is a great question because the answer is actually one of the the mysteries that we don't know, and uh, we are constantly trying to figure out exactly what is the cause of fibroids. We do know that they are benign tumors of the pelvis, and uh, they're actually quite frequent, as you as you stated earlier in the introduction. So, you know, women do have this uh, tend to have fibroids up to um, 50% in women, and then again 70% in African American women. One of the things, though, we do want to uh, find out, again, is the cause of fibroids. So uh, we kind of are uh, doing studies that try to find if there's a genetic predisposition. Uh, Family history does play a part in that. But also is diet um, a part of that and also just lifestyle? And again, race. Does something have to do with, you know, the reason why African Americans are more prone to fibroids? So again, it's not known definitively, but we are constantly trying to find etiology of fibroids. And what are some signs and symptoms of somebody having fibroids? This is, again, a great question. I see so many women who have fibroids who, one, didn't know they had fibroids, but do present with some of the symptoms that you would see uh, with uh, fibroids. So uh, one of the things I do want to make a statement about is because so many women have fibroids, it doesn't necessarily mean that you always have symptoms. So when you do have the symptoms, some of the symptoms that will uh, occur is, again, heavy bleeding. Heavy bleeding is probably, I would say, the most common side effect you'll see from fibroids. But again, when these fibroids tend to get larger, then again, you have encompassing all that space in the pelvis. You start to have some bowel issues. You can have some constipation if the fibroid is resting on your bowels. You also can have urinary issues. If it rests on your bladder, you can have constant urination um, or even some incontinence issues. Um, and again, some women for, with the very large fibroids, they will maybe have an increase in their, their abdomen and, and feel it. And some women say that when they lie down at night, they're able to feel it. And again, this can also interfere with uh, sexual intercourse. And if the fibroid is very low lying in the pelvis, again, that can allude to some of the discomfort women might have during sex. And how exactly do you diagnose fibroids since sometimes people don't have symptoms? So usually what we find it is on ultrasound. Ultrasound is the imaging uh, or the image study that gynecologists like to use if we suspect that women have fibroids. But a lot of women, again, who don't know that they have fibroids will find that when they go into maybe the emergency room or they go see their primary care physician and they have other complaints, and you do maybe a CT scan or MRI for something else, incidentally, they will find fibroids within the uterus. And what are some of the common misdiagnoses with fibroids that maybe a woman went to an internist and 
they told him they had something else, and then they finally saw a gynecologist and found out it was fibroids. Great. I think that's a very interesting question because, again, some of the women don't know that they have fibroids and they may have symptoms with bowel issues, constipation, maybe feel full earlier when they're eating. We call that satiety. So they might have feeling full. They may have urinary issues. So they may see other disciplines of medicine with these complaints. And um, on imaging, again, they may find that they have fibroids uh, and also... Um, if they do an exam and they're able to palpate or feel on their abdomen that they may have somewhat of a firm feeling or somewhat of a growth, that may let them know that there could be fibroids involved at that point. And the quality of life for patients, I mean, I know you've already mentioned that sometimes it has an effect on their sex life. How do fibroids actually affect the quality of life for these women? And that's the number one reason. So fibroids are the number one reason that women actually have hysterectomies and the number one cause of how fibroids present is, again, the heavy bleeding. So you'll have women who have very heavy periods or they bleed in between their periods because of these fibroids. And uh, that, you know, that really does decrease quality of life because when you're always, you know, making sure that you're not bleeding through your clothes, you're always carrying, you know, extra pads and tampons. But also a lot of women have pain with these heavy periods and they, you know, they have to take off of work. And so that does affect, again, you know, professional lives and also family lives because, again, like you said, they have pain with sex and so that can interfere with a relationship or that women will, they're not able to take care of their families because either they're in pain or heavy bleeding and have to kind of take over, you know, some of the things that they usually do. So I think that it interferes with a lot of women's life. And, you know, as women, I think we have so much on our plate that we tend to take care of everything else before we take care of ourselves. So a lot of the patients that I see will come to me and it will be, you know, how long have you been going through this, you know, this issue, whether it's the bleeding or the, you know, the urination. And they'll be like, oh, you know, for maybe a couple of years. And so, you know, I really encourage women to make sure that they talk to their gynecologist about issues that they're having early on so that we can, you know, one, chronicle it. And also, too, if it starts to get worse, we can kind of take action before it gets a little too far. I was wondering now, the signs and symptoms sound very similar to endometriosis. Um, Now, because obviously people usually are diagnosed with endometriosis much younger than 50. Right. Is there any chance that somebody younger than 30 would have fibroids? Younger than 30, yes, absolutely. One of the things that we'll find is if women might have problems getting pregnant, and during the workup, we see that there are fibroids. Sometimes where the fibroids are positioned, and again, their size, there's you know various sizes and uh, location in the uterus, um, that could uh, interfere with fertility. And um, so if it's close to the fallopian tubes or if it's you know very close to the, the inside lining of the uterus and, and sometimes can cause increased risk of miscarriage, again, that might be a finding that you would find in someone who's younger than 30. And again, the painful periods, too, is what you'll find. That's a very characteristic finding in endometriosis. But also in fibroids, you'll find that you can have that similar clinical finding or symptom with fibroids because of the heavy bleeding and therefore you have you know a lot of cramping and uh, discomfort during your periods. If you are just tuning in, you are listening to ReachMD. I am your host, Dr. Renee Matthews, and I'm speaking with Dr. Jessica Shepard, Assistant Professor of Clinical Obstetrics and Gynecology and the Director of Minimally Invasive Gynecology at the University of Illinois College of Medicine at Chicago. So let's turn our attention to the management of fibroids. What are the options? And, you know, you meant, we mentioned at the top that hysterectomies are not the only solution. Yes, and I want women to really, you know, hear that and understand that that's not 
the only option. Now, I do believe that women have their own journey with fibroids, and you know, when they decide to do whatever management that it is, it should be up to them, and um, it should, you know, they should feel as if they they have ownership of the situation and what their options are. So, women with fibroids not causing any problems, maybe we didn't even know it was there, and then we see it later. Typically, as a gynecologist, we like to say, if it's not bothering you, we don't really bother it. So again, that's that is the option of management is to observe it and not and not do anything, and that's completely fine. Um, I think some women feel that if they do have um, fibroids, that something has to be done, and that's not necessarily true all the time. Now, if they do start to bother you, that's when we uh, look into different types of management. So if you have heavy bleeding. Um, and you're younger, and maybe you know a surgical procedure is not necessarily you know what you feel is is good for you, or the, you know maybe your gynecologist doesn't recommend a surgical option at that time. We usually like to manage the bleeding with with types of birth control, and again, birth control not necessarily for you know contraception, but actually for management of the heavy bleeding. So. Right. Any type of birth control can help with the heavy bleeding, whether it's an oral contraceptive, whether it's an implanted um, device, whether it's an uh, intrauterine device, which is a, a great option as well. Um, that can usually uh, manage the heavy bleeding. Then we go into options if you fail, whether you are on the medication and it doesn't quite work for you, or you uh, maybe have very large fibroids where you're having symptoms and now they need to be managed a little bit differently. Uh, you really do have a full gamut of surgical options for fibroids. So for someone who is a little younger and possibly wanting uh, fertility options in the future, uh, maybe they haven't had kids or they want few, you know, more kids, uh, you can definitely look to have a myomectomy. And um, a myomectomy is just removal of the fibroid but keeping the uterus intact. So when you keep the uterus intact, again, you're not taking out you know, the uterus and just the fibroids. So you want to make sure that you talk to your doctor about that option as well because you, again, preserve the uterus to have kids in the future. The other option is um, you can also have a uterine artery embolization, and that is actually done by interventional radiologists. And what they do is a very uh, small procedure. Um, they do it same day, meaning you go in and have it done and you're able to leave the same day. And so it's a very quick recovery for that. And what you do is you actually have uh, catheters that are placed in your arteries, and they focus just on the arteries that are attributing to the actual fibroid, and they uh, they put in uh, little um, pellets or uh, occlude the arteries and decrease the flow to that fibroid that is specifically causing uh, the issue for that patient. And they what they do is they shrink, and uh, most of the symptoms will resolve. So it's kind of like you have a, a hose and you, you kink the hose and so there's mm -hmm. no more blood supply to that fibroid. Another great option that I use for some of my patients who have fibroids that are just inside the cavity of the uterus is uh, when we do a resection of that fibroid and we can use a device such as a myosure. So a myosure is a device that actually just takes the fibroid from the inside of the uterus. Again, you're preserving the uterus. And uh, that helps with heavy bleeding a lot. And then, of course, we have the option, which is our definitive management, someone who's finished with childbearing, finished with bleeding, just really <laughs> wants everything taken out, and that's when we come to the hysterectomy as an option. And um, I really feel that, that women, when they get to that point and they feel that they want a hysterectomy, I think that's, you know, I do think 
you know, hysterectomy is a good option because it's definitive. That, you know, you won't have any more issues with bleeding or if they're causing you bowel or urinary issues. So I think that that would really be a good option for someone who's at that point, uh, you know. So, again, it depends on the journey. Where are these women in their journey with their heavy bleeding or their right. symptoms from fibroids and what do they feel is best for them? And that's a discussion that should always be an open discussion with the gynecologist. I always encourage women that if they feel the advice they're being given just really doesn't sit well with them to go ahead and get another, you know, second opinion. You know, it's their health in the end and they should have ownership of their health and uh, get a second opinion. And we want to definitely discuss the study that University of Illinois College of Medicine at Chicago is doing currently on fibroids. We have a study that uh, we started last year. And again, that was looking at the nutritional uh, aspects of fibroids and if that has, again, any uh, play into is this something that uh, contributes to fibroid growth, especially in African-American women, and um, trying to find the factors uh, nutritionally that might increase risk for fibroids. So that's what we're looking into currently. That sounds great. I want to uh, know more about your um, her viewpoint, your foundation. Yeah, if you could tell us let's more talk about, about that. her yeah, viewpoint. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so her viewpoint actually was started in 2013. 2013 that was started, and basically that came... That came about because, you know, I see so many patients, women patients, and, you know, I love to sit and talk with my patients and find out what's going on with them. And one of the things that I found is that women, one, we don't necessarily like to talk about things that uh, affect our health. Um, we either hush-hush or there's somewhat of an element of shame with some of the issues that we have. And so, you know, I felt that when I sit and talk to my patients and have an open dialogue with them and form relationships that... I feel that they're more open and willing to talk about these issues. And so I, I fig, you know, I figured, you know, her viewpoint is a forum where women can, one, either get the answers for the questions that they want. And then the other important thing is, that, you know, if these are not my patients, for them to be formulate the questions and figure out the best ways for them to talk to their doctor. So, again, that they have a good relationship. I really feel that a doctor-patient relationship should be one that is comfortable um, so that, it helps you feel that you're a part of taking ownership of your health and, uh, you know, getting rid of the shame and, you know, not having excuses for not doing certain things because you, you feel comfortable with the decisions that you've made um, with your doctor. So that's where that uh, came about. And it's, you know, it's, it's just doing really well. And I feel that women are open to um, learning more about themselves and then being able to talk comfortably about the issues that affect them because, you know, as women, again, we tend to push things off, uh, take care of everyone else and not take care of ourselves. So this is a way that I can empower women to uh, take care of themselves and their health. Definitely give us the website. So it's herviewpoint.com, uh, H-E-R-V-I-E-W-P-O-I-N-T.com. And also we do uh, a lot of Twitter, and uh, we also have a Facebook page as well. So it's under Her, her Viewpoint on Facebook. And uh, with Twitter, it's Shepherd underscore MD. And that's the Twitter handle. Great. Dr. Shepard, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it and hope to talk to you again soon. I am your host, Dr. Renee Matthews, and you've been listening to ReachMD. To download this podcast and others in this series, please visit ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.